The following is a message by Dr. John Fesco from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have gathered us here uh, this uh, morning, that we may pause in our busy days to consider your word. Uh, we pray that as you spoke uh, through your prophets in days gone by, that as we read and hear your prophetic word preached, that you would speak to us not only through your word, but in the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would uh, speak powerfully to us, that you would apply it uh, to our lives, that we might yield the fruit of the Spirit. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's really a, a distinct privilege and honor to be able to bring to you this semester a series of uh, six chapel messages on the subject of the fruit of the Spirit. And so uh, what I would like us for us to do with each chapel message is to go ahead and uh, read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25, just so we can remind ourselves about the subject matter of uh, Paul's famous passage on the fruit of the Spirit. So let's begin there uh, by turning in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, and I will begin reading in verse uh, 16. So Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, hear now uh, the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now if the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Um, the fruit of the Spirit passage, obviously, I suspect, is uh, perhaps one of the more famous in Paul's uh, letters and his body of writings that comes to us in the New Testament. I think that uh, many are familiar with it, and uh, hopefully we're familiar with the general context in which it appears, obviously, in his uh, letter to the Galatian churches. I think many people are aware of the general context of the letter of uh, Galatians because uh, they recognize the fact that the Galatian churches were a series of churches that Paul had planted uh, in Galatia, and uh, not only had he planted them, but they had very quickly drifted away from the gospel. I remember sitting in my seminary class uh, many moons ago, and the professor saying that this was perhaps Paul's angriest letter. 
in some sense because he dispensed with the pleasantries and right away in the opening chapter uh, began to rebuke the Galatians why, you know, for their abandonment of the gospel. And so Paul spends a lot of time uh, in this epistle talking about the importance of the gospel as well as the doctrine of justification by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. But as we see here from the passage that we've read, Paul not only discusses the doctrine of justification, but he discusses sanctification. In other words, our confirmation, our progressive confirmation into the image of Christ. And he discusses it under this rubric, under this idea, if you will, of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, one of the things that I think it's important that we recognize about Paul, and this may sound like a bad thing to say, is that I don't think he's as, he's as genius as people want to make him out to be. Now, you may think, oh my word, I can't believe he's starting off the chapel series this way. Well, let me explain. It's often the case that I hear people say that, well, Paul was a, a brilliant theologian. I don't want to take any of Paul's brilliance away. I mean, he certainly was a, a great theologian. But I think that we attribute a lot of originality to the Apostle Paul, when in actuality, he wasn't being original, but rather he was being faithful. And there's a difference. It's one thing to step into a pulpit and come away with an original message. You know, I think I've heard it said by preaching professors that if you come away from the pulpit and, you know, a veteran member of your church comes up and says, I've read the Bible for many, many years and I've never heard that before. Well, that's not necessarily something that you want to hear. And in this particular case, what Paul is doing is that he is not being original. It's not that he looked out his window, saw a fruit tree, and thought, hey, what a great idea. The fruit of the Spirit. What a great analogy. But rather, Paul was reflecting upon the Old Testament scriptures. In other words, if you ask Paul, get your Bible, he would have dragged out numerous scrolls, uh, or at least in our own setting, he would have held up his Old Testament. And he would have said, here are the prophetic scriptures of God's people. And in particular, you can see this throughout his epistle, but especially even here, beginning in verse 16, where he talks about walking by the Spirit being led by the Spirit, which I think would have invoked the imagery of Israel's exodus and the Israelites being led by the Spirit in the wilderness. There are numerous points at Paul's writings where he is echoing, if you will, many Old Testament images and persons and backgrounds. Well, in this particular case, it may not be evident, immediately evident to us, but when he is invoking the fruit of the Spirit and talking about such things, and when he contrasts it with the works of the flesh, he's not merely contrasting ethical conduct, though he certainly is doing that. Obviously, one is a bad form of conduct, sinful conduct. The other is righteous and holy conduct. But it's much bigger than that. In more technical terms, Paul is not simply talking about the order of salvation, that if you have been saved, then you should manifest these righteous virtues, this holy conduct. It's bigger than that. 
much bigger than that. In fact, he's talking about, quite literally, the collision of worlds, the collision of ages. This present evil age, one that is marked by enmity, strife, sin, if you will, the fallen kingdom of Adam, and the age to come, the reign of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, which Paul at several points in his writings contrasts. And to, to get a, be able to get a brief glimpse of that, we're only going to be able to do this in the most cursory of ways. But what I'd like us to do, and you can either listen or you can uh, try to follow along, is I want to very quickly look at a couple of passages uh, from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. If I were to guess what Paul was looking at when he was writing, at least in particular, this portion of his epistle to the Galatian churches, he would have had his scroll to Isaiah opened, if not on his desk, at least in his mind. So when we go back to the Old Testament, in particular to the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, there is a particular parable, if you will, that the prophet uses. He compares... Israel, the nation, the people of God, to a vineyard. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be devoured. I shall break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Now listen carefully as the prophet pulls back the veil of the parable. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Here, he, he likens Israel to a vineyard that the Lord planted. Notice, vineyards are full of grapes, fruit. And when he was looking for good fruit, he didn't receive the good fruit, but instead it yielded wild grapes, bad fruit, bloodshed, malice. He looked for righteousness, but instead found an outcry, an unrighteous people. One devoted them, one, a people devoted to sin and to idolatry. And so God said, I'm tearing it down. I'm tearing it down. But that's not the end of the story, praise God. We know that subsequent to this, Isaiah unfolds a number of other promises that God would give to his people. It says, for example, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and following, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
very, very quickly, we know that this shoot from the stump of Jesse is Jesus. But listen carefully as to how he describes this shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It's no coincidence that we have fruit and spirit. Interesting. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Notice here, this shoot comes forth from the stump of the root of Jesse and it bears fruit. It bears fruit. And it is the fruit of, among other things, faithfulness. Faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So notice, where Israel is faithless, Jesus Christ is faithful, and Jesus is the one who is anointed by the Spirit, and chiefly, above all else, he himself begins to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Now, very quickly, listen to what Isaiah says later on throughout his uh, prophecy, Isaiah 27, 6. In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Now, brothers and sisters, if I can be so blunt, Isaiah doesn't have in mind mangoes and kiwis. He's not talking about produce. If we're looking at Isaiah chapter 5, talking about this analogy, if you will. We're talking about righteous and holy conduct, which the prophet describes as fruit. Isaiah 32, Isaiah 32, verses 14 and following. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city destroyed, and the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. The joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, yet another fruit of the Spirit. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Isaiah 44, verses 2 and following. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Do you see what the prophet is saying here? He's saying that you, O Israel, have been faithless, but I will be faithful through my son, my spirit-anointed son. He will manifest the fruit that I desire to see, but not only will he manifest the fruit that I want to see in you, my people, but he will pour out the spirit upon you 
so that in outpouring the Spirit upon you, you too shall manifest this holy fruit, this righteous and holy conduct. So you begin to see, now that we come back to Galatians chapter 5, what Paul has in view. It's not just simply your righteous conduct, although that's certainly in view. It's quite literally, as I said, the collision of worlds. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are the things that mark the conduct of the people of the world, the people who dwell in darkness, the people who belong to this present evil age. The age that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is passing away and being brought to nothing. But by contrast, we have the outpouring of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I hope you see the bigger picture. That when Isaiah, for example, talks about the new creation in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, he's talking about the renovation of the entire heavens and the earth. The new heavens and the new earth. And here is the amazing thing, is that you, brothers and sisters, are the centerpiece of that new heavens and earth because you are the dwelling place of the spirit of the living God and it is through you and by the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit that you manifest this holy fruit, this righteous conduct. Not so that you could somehow earn God's favor, but rather because Christ has earned God's favor on your behalf and has imparted to you the Holy Spirit. So as we reflect upon this over the next five messages uh, throughout the semester, it's important that you ask yourself, to whom are you united? Where are you living your daily life? Do you descend into the valley of darkness and engage in the conduct that belongs to the world that is passing away? Or do you look to Christ who is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, looking to him by faith and praying to him that he would grant you the fruit of the Spirit, that you might manifest this holy conduct? I don't know if you realize this, but on a day-in and day-out basis, you have the opportunity to manifest this eschatological fruit. You may not realize it, but you do. I know that chapel isn't always the best place to confess sins, but uh, you know, one of my foibles as a as a as a uh, as a father, and indeed I'll say sins, is that uh, I lack patience with my children. Just yesterday morning, you know, blew my lid. I lacked patience, and as I prepared this chapel message, I reflected upon loss of self-control. 
Ironically, I was reading the Bible to them. <laughs> Works out that way sometimes. I was upset that they weren't paying attention and that my son was not listening to the last chapter of Philippians and instead he was more focused upon the pancake that he wanted another pancake. And there were other factors, I assure you. It wasn't just the pancake. In my defense, not that I should defend my sinful reaction. <laughs> Is it hot in here or is it just me? But I, I descended into a lack of self-control. When what I should have done is I should have prayed, Oh, Lord, grant me greater power through your Holy Spirit not to descend into the conduct that is unbefitting of the sons and daughters of, uh, of God the Father that is unbefitting of the conduct of the bride of Christ. But rather, through your spirit, enable me to breathe the air of the new heavens and the new earth. To look to Christ, that he might fill me with his spirit, that I might manifest patience and kindness and self-control, even with my children. That's primarily, I think, what Paul is talking about here. Beloved, it's not simply conduct, but rather it is the inbreaking of the new heavens and the new earth, not only in the creation itself, but chiefly in and through you. So ask yourself, where will you walk? Will you be led by the Spirit? Will you seek Christ by whom and through whom you receive the indwelling power of of the Holy Spirit that you might manifest this fruit? Or will you yield that wild fruit? Rely upon Christ. Seek him and seek to manifest this fruit. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father, we give thanks for you are kind and merciful to us in so many ways. Forgive us for our sins, we pray. We are so easily let us stray, and not only let us stray, but even we often wander off. Bind our wandering hearts to thee, that we would not engage in the sinful conduct of the world, that we would live as new creatures in Christ, as part of the new heavens and the new earth, shining the light of the gospel to those who are around us in the sin-darkened world, and indeed manifesting this holy fruit, not to our glory, but to your glory, and for the edification not only of ourselves, but of your church. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.